Let me tell you what was actually happening during that period of time. It's not a newsflash if you've ever read the Bible, but here's what was actually happening during that time. God was winning the war. Jesus was setting free all of mankind who would ever turn to Him in faith. The blood that would secure our atonement had been shed. And He was preaching to the captives. And on the third day, by this time, He had already rose from the grave, defeating death, hell, and the grave, and proving once and for all that He was exactly who He said He was, the Son of God. That's what was actually happening. Here's how the disciples were responding. He was a prophet. We, we, we had hoped it. You see, when you're really discouraged, you will see things far worse than they really are. The peace of God, real peace, God's peace, it's something we all desire to have, but all too often find it hard to get. If that statement resonates with you, you are not alone. Many of us wonder how it is possible to have a life that is ruled by peace. We know the scriptures teach us to be at peace, to fear not, and to be anxious for nothing. But making that a reality in our lives seems an impossible task. In this sermon series, Besides Still Waters, Pastor Joplin breaks down exactly what biblical peace is, and more importantly, how to get it. Do you need peace? If so, it's no accident you've tuned into today's message. I'm starting a brand new sermon series today titled Beside Still Waters. And I've been praying about this sermon series for almost two months now. Um, I have felt compelled by the Spirit as I've been praying for God's people and for the church and for direction to preach a sermon series on uh, the concept of being joyful in the midst of uncertain times. And I originally thought I was going to be preaching a sermon series titled Joy for the Journey. And as I have continued to study this concept and, and pray about it, I have landed on this uh, concept of peace. Because I would argue it's very difficult to have joy without having peace. And, um, you know, last week I preached on the fight that we have as Christians, that this is a good fight, um, but it is a lifelong fight and it is a battle. And this week, I turned to an entire sermon series on peace. And you need to know it is possible to be engaged in a spiritual battle. It is possible to live the, long, long, the lifelong good fight while simultaneously having peace. It's very possible. The question is, how do we do it? We all know as Christians that, you know, the Word of God tells us that we should be at peace. We know that the Word of God tells us, in essence, that we should dwell at this place where we have rest for our soul and we are beside still waters. We know the Word of God tells us to fear not. We know the Word of God tells us to be anxious about nothing. But the reality is, most of us don't live that way. And the bridge between knowing what God says and it becoming a tangible reality in your life is a bridge that we have to learn to cross. And so I'm going to spend several weeks, I don't know how many, I know several. I, I don't see it being anything less than four, and I can see this sermon series being as, as far as two months out, eight weeks. We are going to be studying peace. And this is one of the few times in a sermon series, it might be the only time in a ser sermon series, that I'm going to take the entire first 
portion or this entire message and treat it as an introduction. And uh, there are some reasons for that. You'll see as we walk, get through it this morning. But what is it like to be led by still waters? And before I get to my main points, I, I want you to notice in our primary text, he leads me or makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. You need to know that if you're truly following God, He will lead you beside still waters. And this is fascinating because this is a psalm of David. I believe with all of my heart that this psalm is a literal psalm that David wrote and that there is reference as he prepares a table before him in the presence of his enemies. I believe this is a psalm that David wrote during a period of his life when he was running for his life. Saul was out to kill him. Now, many of us are burdened. Many of us are going through difficult times. It is a difficult time of life. It's a difficult time in our nation. But none of us are physically and literally hiding for our lives right now because someone is hunting you down to murder you. None of us can even pretend to be fighting that kind of a battle. David was. And in that type of a battle, David pins down this psalm about the peacefulness of his soul because God leads him by still waters. This morning, I want us to look at three reasons why inner peace must become a priority in your life. If you are a person that struggles with anxiety and fear and worry and doubt, this sermon series is going to be absolutely crucial, especially for you. You have to know that finding the inner peace that God designed you to have, that God gives, it must become a priority in your life. And I want, what I want to set out to do this morning is prove to you from the Scriptures that you need peace, that God's desire is for you to have peace, and that you need to be fighting for it and pursuing it. That's what I want to do before I'm done today. And then in the next several weeks, we're going to look at what does biblical peace look like? How do you obtain it? So this morning, let's get started with three reasons why inner peace must become a priority in your life. Number one, God's will for you is to be ruled by peace. God's will for you is that you are ruled by peace. Look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. First of all, notice that the peace that we have is the peace of Christ. It's not a worldly peace. It's not based upon having everything that this world says you need in order to have peace. It's not a, a peace of, you know, having um, everything that you think you need to be set up for the next several years or the right amount of retirement or the right relationships. It's not about uh, external worldly comforts. The peace that we are talking about and the peace of God, the peace of Christ, is a peace that only comes from Him. Now, notice the words that follow, and they're very important words. 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now we see that peace here actually controls us. The peace of Christ is meant to control us. It's not just meant to make us feel good. It's not just meant to make us feel happy. It's actually meant to guide our very steps or in a much more forceful way, according to what the, how the scriptures say it, to rule us. To be ruled by something is to be fully controlled by it. We see this concept that the peace of Christ is actually meant to fully control this hearts of ours. Now, I want you to ask yourself this morning, don't, don't be, I'm not, this isn't a condemnation question, and I sure hope your heart doesn't go there. I just want you to do an honest heart check this morning. Would you say that the peace of Christ is ruling your heart recently? Does the peace of Christ have complete control over your emotions recently? Your thoughts, your actions. Because the will of God is that the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let's look at another passage uh, on this point. John chapter 14 and verse 27. Jesus said it this way. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. To you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So here we see that Christ gives us peace. You have to know that. You want one of the reasons that this first point is incredibly important? Because I think there are a lot of us that justify our anxiety and our fear based upon the fact that our world's in chaos. You justify it. You think that peace should be contingent upon the world around you being at peace. And it's just not biblical. I would not say that there are never times of peace in the world around you. But the world is a fallen place. It is full of darkness. It is full of sin. It is getting worse. It is, according to the Scriptures, it's not going to get better. And as time goes on, the hearts of men are going to fail them, and the love of many is going to grow cold. Things are not going to get better. And so if my point is, is that the Bible doesn't teach us that our peace is somehow connected to the world around us. But many of you, many of us, I'm fully convinced justify the lack of peace that we live with, we justify our anxiety, we justify our fear based upon the world around us is crumbling. And we think to ourselves, well, if everything would be different, then I would be at peace. Somewhere you've got to make the decision for yourself that you will believe what the Word of God says, and that God says you have been given peace. And that you must allow the the peace of Christ to rule in your heart. You've got to dig deep in there. Now, I'm somebody that can uh, speak to this from, from honest experience. 
Many of you that have heard my story a handful of times know that I spent a good six to eight years really battling depression and, and just bad depression, dark, dark depression. And personally, I did the same thing. I spent a lot of time justifying why I was so discouraged and why I was so um, unmotivated and why I was frustrated with God and why I was depressed and why I was anxious and why I was fearful. I could tell you why. Because of my surroundings. And if you were going through what I was going through, you'd feel the same way I do. And I had to come face to face with scriptures and make the decision, do I believe what God says or not? Has God given me peace? Or do the scriptures say that God will give me peace by fixing everything in my life that's wrong? No, that's not what they say. Christ said, my peace I give to you. Literally, he's talking to his disciples, whom he's about to send out, ultimately to be martyrs. Let that sink in. And so the peace of Christ the peace that God offers us, it's very different than worldly peace, but somewhere you've got to start with whether you experience it or not. And this is where I had to get. I'm like, I don't feel peaceful at all. I don't feel like I have a lick of peace in me, but I'm just going to believe what God says somehow, some way it's there. Now I've got to figure out how to get it to be a tangible reality in my life. And here's the truth. It doesn't work. Just You can't just beat that into somebody. It's not like you just pull up your boots and decide, well, I'm going to be peaceful today. It doesn't work that way. And if you've ever battled anxiety, depression, and fear, you know that. It just doesn't. It's, it's a crazy thing. You can know that you're wrong and still not be able to just flip the switch, and I'm a happy person now. It's one of the reasons, though, that we're going to take several weeks to look at what is biblical peace, how do we obtain it, and how do we live a life that is ruled by peace? Because listen, make no mistake about it. If God's commanded you to do it, you can do it. Through Him, through His help, through the help of the Holy Spirit. But God's not commanded you to do anything that He's not willing to help you do. So the first thing I've got to do is get it settled in this mind and in this heart of mine. That God has given me peace. That this is the will of God. He gives peace. He's called us to be ruled by peace. I'm going to give you one more passage before moving to our next point. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice again a couple things about this passage. Number one, that our hearts, the health of our emotional inner being, our hearts are connected to peace. And that if we don't have peace, the reverse would make sense, that our hearts are kind of running in the wrong direction. I also want you to notice these words, it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. See, this is a New Testament clear um, way of saying it surpasses understanding. In other words, it's not tied to the things that the common person understands. Well, of course he's at peace. Everything in his life is good. Everything in her life is great. They've got no problems. They've got no struggles. That's why they're at peace. No, this is a peace that surpasses understanding. This is the type of peace that the average person will look at our lives and say, how in the world are you so peaceful? 
Now, I believe this is important, brothers and sisters, because our ability to represent God is important. And if we are never at peace, if we never have some joy in our step, I think it diminishes our message. I think about Jesus, and I just don't believe that anybody's, the weight that anybody carried was ever heavier than the weight that that man carried on earth. He knew what he was here for. He knew what his hour was. He knew that death was coming. We see when it was crushing down on him in the Garden of Gethsemane that he even prayed, God, if there's any other way, would you, would you make another way? And yet, when I think of Jesus, I don't see somebody that walked around crying all the time. I don't see somebody that was so burdened all the time by everything that was wrong that he just had no joy. I don't see Jesus that way. Yet he was, didn't have his hand, head in the sand either. He was fully conscious of what was going on. And you'll see times when he weeps over Jerusalem. But if all that we do is weep, if all that we do is cry, if all that we do is walk around with sadness, if all that we do is live a life that has no joy, if all that we do is just just live this life of complete, um, I hesitate to use the word seriousness, but where we're just always so somber and we're so focused on how bad things are and that's all we can talk about and that's all we can think about and we've got no real sense of peace and joy and excitement about life, I think it diminishes our message. I think it becomes difficult for us to really, because the Bible teaches us this, that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. I think it's difficult to convince an onlooking world that God is good if all of his followers live like this. And so there has to be what I would call balance. Listen, you guys know me. I'm about as serious of a guy as they come. I take the Word of God very seriously. I preach it really straight. And I'm not afraid to deal with the hard things and acknowledge that that we've got to live holy, right? We've got to turn from wickedness. And the answer to this world's problems is ultimately turning from their sins to Jesus. I'm not afraid to say those things. But simultaneously, and I'll tell you, it took me years to learn it. I had to learn I can't just be a cosmic killjoy all the time. And I've got to find a way to let peace rule in my heart simultaneously. I'm not talking about sticking my head in the sand and saying, oh, everything's great in the world. That's not what I'm talking about. But my point is that God's peace doesn't require us to do that. Because it's not a circumstantial peace. It's not a worldly peace. It's a peace that we find in Christ. And listen, I'm going to say it again. God wouldn't tell you to be anxious about nothing if he wasn't going to help you to do it. And so somewhere when we're anxious, we've got to be willing to just acknowledge, God, I must not be seeing this from your perspective. I'm not going to pretend I'm not anxious. I'm not going to, you know, just say I'm not when I know that I am. But God, I'm going to be willing to let this heart of mine and this mind of mine get refocused on your word. Lord, teach me how do I not be anxious in this situation? Because I believe your word. I believe I shouldn't be. Help me to see how to do this differently. So number one, you've got to get it settled that the will of God for you is to be ruled by peace. You know, if you think, and there are some Christians who do, that think that we're just not ever supposed to really be at peace because the world's so bad. Well, if you give yourself the right to believe that lie, then you'll be satisfied with living a life that's not ruled by peace. 
So let's get it settled. The will of God is for you to be ruled by peace. That's an important reason that you need to be pursuing it. Number two, you need to see not only is it the will of God for you to be ruled by peace, but God designed you to need it. God designed you to need peace. I would say it like this. It's almost like he implanted it into your DNA, so to speak. It's an instinctive need that all of us have. Look with me at Isaiah 26 and verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace. Now, that's the kind of peace we want. Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Now, if it were possible for me to read that statement and walk away and know that we would all just get it, I wouldn't be spending the next four to eight weeks on this. But I will tell you, it's my opinion, this is probably the most precise statement in all of scriptures concerning how and why we have peace. Read it again. You keep him. Now, it's interesting. We've got the responsibility to not be anxious, etc., etc. But notice it's God who keeps us in perfect peace. He's the one that does it. When? When we keep our mind stayed on God because we trust in God. That's how it works. Now, listen to this. So God created within you the need for peace. This principle I'm about to share has a lot of applications of other needs because it's not the only need in your life. But you will find the actual needs are meant to drive us to God. God created a need in every single one of us for peace. That way we would search for it. That way we would long for it. There would be this instinctive need that when we're anxious and fearful, something's wrong, something's off, something needs to change. The purpose of that, though, is ultimately to drive us to look heavenward to the only one who can bring us true, perfect peace, to find all of our peace in Him and in Him alone. And instead, what a lot of us do is there's this, you know, it's like we know we're anxious, we know we're fearful, and so we start trying to figure out what it's for. Oh, it's because I, don't, it's I don't make enough money, so I need this. It's because I don't, you know, it's because... Um, I've been single for, you know, so many years and I need this or it's because I need this relationship or that thing or this needs to change in my life or I've been working at this place for so long and I don't like what I do anymore and so I need to do something I like. We don't know what it is. We just know we're off. We just know we don't have peace and we start searching for it. I want to read you that verse again, third time here, Isaiah 26, verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. God designed you to need peace, but you will never find what you need outside of him. It's an incredible truth that it's okay to want peace. It's okay to make up your mind. I'm not going to live with anxiety the rest of my life. I'm not going to live with fear the rest of my life. I'm going to pursue peace. It's okay that's not selfish of you. God actually designed you to need it, but you're going to find out the only way for it to be sustained, the only way to be kept in perfect peace is by staying your mind on Him. And so somewhere in this, 
You're going to have to get really intentional about taking your thoughts and your mind and getting it off of all the earthly things that you, you still have to deal with. Right? We can't all just quit our jobs and go home and read the Bible eight hours a day and sit around and sing kumbaya around the fire and be spiritual. That's not what God called us to do, and I would argue that's not spiritual. But we've got to be in the world. You've got to go to work. You've got to pay the bills. You've got to keep up your house. You've got to do what you've got to do. You've got to mow the yard. And it takes discipline, though, to let our minds not get stayed on those things. Because when you do, all of a sudden you'll find peace evaporates. And so peace is something we need. We're designed to need it, but only God can fulfill it. You need to embrace the need. Be unafraid to seek peace. Find it and live in it. The third reason this morning why inner peace must become a priority in your life. The third reason that this sermon series is really going to be important is because the absence of peace can be harmful. I'm going to say that again. The absence of peace can be harmful. When we lack peace in the inner man, it affects almost every aspect of our living. First of all, God's Word tells us that we should have it. It declares to us that it's His desire that we are ruled by peace. But when we don't have peace, it also impacts what I would call the lens through which we look at life. I want to share with you a couple examples this morning of good, godly, what we might call heroes of the faith. And what happened in their life when peace was lost. The first one I want us to look at is in uh, 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 3. This is um, about Elijah. It says, Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So Elijah was afraid. He arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. I want to talk about what happened here. For sake of time this morning, I made the decision not to read the entire chapter of 1 Kings 18 just to get to this verse. But for this verse to make really good sense, you need to know what 1 Kings 18 is about. It's the story of Elijah showing up on Mount Carmel ready to go one on a thousand. You know, he's got, it's basically him versus about a thousand false prophets. And he's like, let's roll. And he tells them, you call on your God, take all the time that you need. And whoever's God sends fire from heaven, that's whose God is God. And so all these false prophets, they spend a ton of time and hours praying and cutting themselves and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And Elijah's real brave. He's just sitting over there. He's like, well... Maybe your God's just not having a good day with the old hearing. If you guys would say it a little louder, he might respond. And so they're all being wild and crazy, and they're being loud. And he's like, well, who knows? Maybe he's off using the restroom or something. Just keep on going. And he's literally mocking them. Where is your God? And then when they're done, and 
There is no response. Elijah steps up, prays this short and sweet prayer, and God sends fire from heaven, licks up the, the water that's on the altar and around the altar, and then he slays all the false prophets. And then, three verses later in chapter 19, he's afraid for his life and he's running to hide. What happened? See, I told you that when we don't have peace, it can actually be harmful to us. If you want to know what happened very specifically, Jezebel, who was not really the boss, but was the boss, she was the domineering boss of her home, and her husband was the king, but Jezebel really ruled that period of time. Jezebel said these words, you go tell Elijah that what he did to those prophets, I will do to him. That's all she said. That was it. You let Elijah know that what he did yesterday to all those prophets, that's what's going to happen to him. And then he was terrified. You know what happened? Number one, he heard the voice of the enemy and made a decision to believe it. Number two, he started visualizing himself. It's kind of a brutal thing. It's a different period of time than what we live in now. Things were very different back then, but imagine what he physically witnessed with his eyes the day before in the slaughter of the false priest. It was brutal. It was bloody. And now he's visualizing that happening to himself. He's seeing himself destroyed. He's seeing himself ruined. And all of a sudden, this brave man who yesterday was ready to go one versus a thousand is running in fear for his life because some woman told him, what you did to those prophets, I'm going to do to you. You know what happens when peace is lost? We turn from being brave to being fearful. We see it in Elijah's life. When his peace was lost, he became paralyzed. I've been there, and one of the things I love preaching about peace and, and this type of stuff is I can really relate. I don't just have to only rely on this is what God says. Sometimes you got to do that, but I've lived this, and so I know. I get it. And I can tell you that when peace is lost, sometimes you are paralyzed. It's like you know what you want to do, and you, 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 you want to be brave for God, and you want to step out and do stuff, but it's just like you're paralyzed. You just can't. It's like you just can't. Elijah went, and you know what he did? He hid in a cave. He went and he hid in a cave, and that's often what we want to do when our peace is lost. We want to hide in a cave instead of going and fighting on the mountain. And I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters. I don't know what the solution is. I don't know if there is a solution. I don't know if the Lord's coming back in tonight, three months from now. I have no idea what, this, what, what the future holds. But here's what I do know, is that if, in fact... We are to remain here on this earth and Jesus is not returning in the immediate near future and there is work for us still to do. Here's what I do know. This world, which desperately needs God, does not need us hiding in caves. It needs us on the mountain facing down fearlessly the false prophets, if you will, and proclaiming, thus says the Word of God. But you'll find that when peace is gone... And our hearts are not ruled by peace, but instead they're ruled by fear. What do we want to do? We want to run and we want to hide in a cave. Think about what happened with Peter. 
I want to go ahead and read, this will be the largest section of Scripture this morning. I want to read um, Peter's account, uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 66 through 72. Uh, As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You are also with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man's one of them. But he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will not deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Do not tell me that the absence of peace can't be harmful. Yes, it can. This brave warrior of a man finds himself compromising in areas he never believed was possible. You'll find that when peace is gone and your heart is ruled by anxiousness and fear, you think in ways you never thought before, so you make decisions you never would have made before, and you do things you never would have done before. And here this great warrior of a man decides he's going to deny Jesus three times. And honestly, what's even more crazy about it, he had already been warned it was going to happen. You would think, right, that right as you're about to deny him, you'd stop, oh, whoa, (laughs) I was just warned about this a couple hours ago. But when peace is lost, and when our hearts are gripped with worry and fear and anxiety, we compromise in ways we never thought possible. This is why it's important. I told you I wanted to set out to do one thing this morning, and that's prepare you for the sermon series to come. This is a big introduction because I want to hammer it hard. I want to hammer home the point. You need to be fighting for peace in your life. You cannot settle for, well, I'm just going to be ruled by anxiousness and fear. No, don't settle for that. That is a dangerous way to live. And you need to know that you know that you know that you know that it's the will of God for you to be ruled by peace. And you need to know that God designed you to need peace, and you need to know that the absence of peace, it has the ability to be really harmful in your life. Look at Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 20. Verses 8 and 9, For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout, violence and destruction, for the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. If I say I will not mention Him or speak any more in His name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. You know what Jeremiah was facing? Something very discouraging. He's preaching his heart out to people, and they hate him for it. You know, sometimes we think we have it so hard, but we really don't. It helps me every now and then to read old Jeremiah and some of the other prophets when I kind of get all, woe is me, nobody ever listens. Well, I've got a good chunk of people here that listen. 
And I'm not the only person on the planet that's preaching these things. Jeremiah was. Imagine how discouraging that'd be. Man, that'd be hard. And he's preaching to his people and he's hearing from God and he's saying exactly what God has to say and they hate him for it. Nobody's listening. Nobody's repenting. Nobody's turning. And Jeremiah basically said, I'm just tired of this. Like every time I preach, people don't want to listen. And so it makes me say in my heart, I don't want to speak to these people anymore. I just don't want to do it. I'm tired of it. They don't listen. Thank God for the fire that was shut up in his bones, though, that said, it doesn't matter. I'm going to stay faithful. I'm going to preach no matter what. But here's what you'll find when we get really discouraged. It just makes us want to quit. Jeremiah's decision to quit wasn't because he didn't believe God had told him to. Jeremiah wasn't sitting around thinking, well, maybe God didn't really say that to me and I'm just wrong here. No, he knew what God had said. He knew he was preaching the, uh, the, what God had told him to preach. He knew he was doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing, but he was so discouraged, his thought was still, I don't want to do this anymore. And you'll find that when peace all of a sudden leaves and we become frustrated, we become hurt, we become wounded, we become anxious, we become fearful, that we start thinking about quitting on things that we never would have quit on. Final example this morning, and I will close. I want us to consider the disciples on the road to Emmaus. This will be the last passage I read from this morning. If you want to turn there, uh, Luke chapter 24. Now, I'm only going to read a couple of verses because um, it's a long story. The entire story is verses 13 through 34. And what's happening in Luke chapter 24 is that Jesus has risen from the dead, but the disciples don't really believe it. They don't really know yet, even though the ladies have come and told them that Jesus has risen from the grave. They're still too discouraged. A couple of them are leaving Jerusalem. They're headed to another town. Emmaus, and Jesus shows up and begins discussing things with them, but they're not aware that it's Jesus. It's been kept from them who he is. And I just want us to look at a couple of things that's happening here with these very discouraged disciples as we consider the truth that the lack of peace can be harmful to us. Let's look at verse 19. Jesus said to them, what things? In other words, why are you so sad? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Now, I want you to think about this statement because it's coming from some of his disciples. What are the chances three days ago they would have referred to him as a man who was a prophet. They believed he was the Messiah. Peter himself declared, you are the Son of God. But now, three days later, he's history. He was a prophet. They don't even acknowledge we thought, you know, um, that he was the Son of God. Not yet. They do in a bit. 
when they say they thought he was the one to redeem Israel in verse 21. But I want you to notice, first of all, in verse 19, that when our peace is gone, we think things are worse than they are. That's the truth. Let me tell you what was actually happening during that period of time. It's not a news flash if you've ever read the Bible. But here's what was actually happening during that time. God was winning the war. Jesus was setting free all of mankind who would ever turn to Him in faith. The blood that would secure our atonement had been shed. And He was preaching to the captives. And on the third day, by this time... He had already rose from the grave, defeating death, hell, and the grave, and proving once and for all that He was exactly who He said He was, the Son of God. That's what was actually happening. Greatest moment in human history. That's what was happening. And here's how the disciples were responding. He was a prophet. We, we, we had hoped in Him. You see, when you're really discouraged, you will see things far worse than they really are. I used that term earlier. It changes the lens through which we look. I'm going to tell you something that's really important about this truth, something you can put in your pocket and take home and use later. You need to see how true that is and be very cautious what you believe when you're discouraged. I'm not, I, all of us are going to try to figure it out when we're discouraged. We're going to try to understand why. But just be cautious the conclusions you come to in your moments of extreme anxiety and fear and worry and depression. Just be careful. Because what you find is, when all said and done, you look back on it, you were way off. And it wasn't nearly as bad as you thought it was. Next. Notice in the uh, same verse, verse 19 there, that often when peace is lost, we question what we, want, what we once believed with absolute certainty. I remember the very first time that I ever went through an absolute hard time as a Christian. We call it the honeymoon season. That a lot of times when you get saved and it's just like it's, everything's good. But eventually... Um, you find out that it is a war, it is a battle, and that life goes on, and that there, there's, a, there's a concerted effort of the enemy to strip you of your joy and turn you around. And For me, I had a very long honeymoon period. It was just like everything was good for a long time. But I'll never forget the, most, uh, the, the very first violent storm that I went through, and I was shocked. I found myself asking questions like, is God's word really true? Now, I know God was real because He changed my life. But God's Word says that He supplies all my needs. Hmm. And I have a need right now, and it's not met. I'm just being honest with you. I'm just telling you the things that run through my head during the very first violent storm I ever went through as a Christian. Because I know this thing says that God supplies all my needs, and I know that this thing I'm battling right now, it's a need that I've needed answered for months, and God's not supplying it. So either I don't understand this thing right, or it's not true. I'm telling you, you get super discouraged, and you'll start to question stuff that you once believed with absolute certainty. The disciples were in the same boat. 
They're thinking to himself, well, we once believed that he was the answer. We once believed he was the Messiah. In verse 21, look what they say. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yet besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Notice those words, we had hoped. You get discouraged enough, you let peace be completely absent from your heart and your mind, and you'll find that hope fades. Now I want to read something. Uh, This is the last point on this. We'll be done this morning. I want to read their, their statement, starting in verse 21 through verse 24. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Listen to how crazy this is. Moreover, some women of our company, ladies we know, ladies we trust, amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and they did not find his body. They even came back saying... They had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. You will find that when you are super discouraged, it will dominate the present. It seems impossible that these guys who were told that Jesus would die and rise on the third day, it seems impossible to think that when they got the news on the third day that he had risen and angels appeared to the ladies, that they wouldn't believe it. But they still didn't believe it. And you will find that when you are super discouraged, it dominates the present. It's like you want to see it from a different lens. You want to have hope. It's just, it's just gone. It's just gone altogether. Now, brothers and sisters, this entire morning I've set out to do one thing, and that is to show you truly, biblically, from the Word of God, that we need peace, and that when we don't have it, it impacts us in a very negative way. My goal is to set a fire in your soul this morning. If you have been battling with depression or struggling with anxiety or fear, my goal was to set a fire in your heart this morning that says, I am not going to live this way the rest of my life. And I see it now that the Word of God does teach me I can have peace. Not only can I, but I should. The will of God is for me to have it. God does give it to me. And that if I don't grab a hold of this and I don't find a way to make this a tangible reality in my life, this is going to have negative consequences on my spiritual walk. It's worth fighting for. And it's not something that you should just sit around and just hope smacks you in the face where you wake up someday and you're just not anxious anymore. I'm going to tell you from somebody that really battled depression in a hard, very hard way, it was a battle for me. I can promise you this. I didn't just wake up one morning, God smacked me on the face, and all of a sudden I was done with depression. No, I had to battle. Man, I had to get into the Word. I had to remind myself, this is what God's Word says. I don't quite feel it yet. I don't know how it applies yet, but I know what God's Word says, and I know what I think, and I know that God's right and that I'm wrong. It's all, so that's, that's a good step in the right direction. But God, I also know your goal isn't for me to just fake it till I make it. God, I also know that what your Word's talking about is real and tangible, and it's not real and tangible in my life yet. 
So what can I do to get there? What I want to do over the next several weeks is just pour my heart out to you guys with the Word of God and show you how the Word of God teaches to get a hold of His peace, to be dominated by it, to be ruled by it, to obtain it and live with it. Amen?